0: Well, the sermon title this morning is Building on the Solid Foundation, and I think it's um, pretty cool sometimes how the Lord orchestrates uh, a service, uh, and, you know, what the prophetic words brought this morning. I thought, you know what, this is pretty much on track of kind of what my message is, and nobody knows what my message is. So, Building on the Solid Foundation, I have some pretty fun pictures that I wanted to to bring up this, uh, this morning, some construction fails. And so, these are my top ten favorite construction fails. So check these out here. Here's my first one. So stop, 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 and watch, or look at these pictures. I mean, stop and look at these pictures, okay? Not sure how this one happened. Um stop, stop, po. Uh, hopefully that got changed very quickly right there. So, Hopefully you'll enjoy the rest of these. Here we go. This is a fun fail as well. (laughs) You just wonder, what, what, what do they have to do? Do they have to just start all over again on one of the sides to line it up? So I know we have a lot of engineers in here this morning. You're probably all like, no way. This is why I don't build a deck. Okay? Because I would fear that my deck would look like this after a year or so. You know, the first storm comes through and blows it down. That is definitely a construction fail. So I wonder who would win, the train or the pole. I don't even want to know. Hopefully it never happened. All right. This is a bad one as well. This is, again, why I should probably not build a deck because it might end up like this. All right. Yes. And this is what happens when you build on the sand on the seashore. It seems fun. It seems nice until the storm comes through. Right. Kind of dangerous. All right. Now, I uh, I spent a significant amount of time in Detroit. Detroit, Michigan, has some pretty bad potholes. OK, so I thought about it, I thought, was that in Detroit? This one's even worse. OK, this is a really bad pothole. Um, hopefully insurance covers that. Doubt it. And then we go to like the worst pothole. Can you imagine building a house and or having a home and <laughs> your home is right next to a giant hole that you didn't know about? Right. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes sinkholes happen around people's homes or buildings. And uh, now we, I want to stop on this one right here. This is my favorite construction fail of all time. This is the most well-known construction fail of all time. The Leaning Tower of Pisa, not pizza. OK, but I do want to say pizza every time I say that because I love pizza. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so a little bit of a backstory on the Leaning Tower of Pisa here. Construction began in 1173 A.D. So that's a long time ago, right? 1173 A.D., they started building, and they only dug, they only put the foundation about 9 to 10 feet underneath the soil, okay? So think about this. You're building a tower, and you only go 9 or 10 feet underneath. Um, That right there is a recipe for a construction fail. Now, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it's a very well-known, famous tower, but it actually was constructed to be the bell tower for the cathedral right in front of the building. OK, so this was, you know, supposed to be it was supposed to be a very lavish, beautiful cathedral to kind of show off what the city of Pisa had to offer. Well, what happened is they got to the third story, the second or the third story, and a war happened. All right. It took one hundred and ninety nine years To construct the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you would think almost after 200 years that they would get it right. Well, they didn't. But what what happened is when they constructed the foundation in the soil, it was very sandy, very loose soil. Okay, and in fact, the stopping of the construction on the second or the third floor kind of saved the tower. Because what happened is it gave it time to solidify a little bit more so the soil, the foundation, was stronger around the tower so it actually didn't fall. So when they, when they finished it 199 years later, the soil was firmer and stronger. Okay, And they tried to do some things up top, like try to build it differently and put some extra steps on one side, and, but it just it never worked. And so, of course, we have this famous structure that we know of in Italy, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And that really brings me into what I want to talk about today, building on a solid foundation. I have some verses here. If you want to uh, go ahead and turn to your Bibles or bring up your phones, because mo- so many people have their Bibles on their phones, to Matthew, starting with chapter well, 7, 21. And this is a parable that Jesus told, I love, love, love every one of Jesus' parables, and I love to look at the parables of Jesus. And this is I can't say it's one of his most important, but probably is one of his most important parables that he he's, he uh he gave. Matthew seven twenty-one says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me, On that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in in thy name and in thy name cast out demons and in your name done many wonderful things. And then I will say to them, then I will say to them, sorry, get away from me. I never knew you. Therefore, starting with verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, everybody say not, put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. It's not on the screen, but obviously it's in your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Father God, we just thank you so much for this time together in the word. I thank you, Lord, that that you've given us your word to study and look at today, God. And I pray today as we look At this parable, as we look at your word, God, that you would transform lives this morning, Jesus. We just thank you so much, God, for everything you've given us and everything you've done for us. And I thank you for Portview Church, Lord, that you would just continue to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to say is everyone is building a house. Everyone is building a house. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. House is another way. For that Jesus is saying a life. Everyone is building a life. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're saved, you're not saved. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone is building some kind of a house, some kind of a life. But we should be looking at the life of Jesus and say, you know what? We we want to build our our life like him. In Luke two fifty two, it says you don't have to turn there, but it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And men. In fact, you know what's kind of cool about this verse in Luke? Luke is actually kind of quoting a verse that was in Samuel in 1 Samuel 26. It says about Samuel and the boy Samuel continue to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with men. That's what we should be doing, right? Building a house in favor with God and favor and men, just like Jesus did. But not everybody is doing that, right? Not everybody's doing it. What are you building? What kind of house are you building? What kind of life are you building? Are you building for retirement? Not a bad thing. Are you building to achieve comfort? Are you building to leave a legacy of Christ followers in your family? What are you building? So I did an extensive search on the word house in this parable. Okay, everybody. And this is uh, this is pretty revolutionary. Pretty life changing. This word house in the Greek language means. Okay, you ready for this? It means house. All right. Means house. House means house. There's no secret message here. That's the cool thing about the parables is that uh, when Jesus told the parables, there's not typically like a real hidden message here. He says what he says. He means what he means. It is what it is. Right. So he's saying, hey, it's a place where your family lives. Right. That's what these two builders built. One foolish, one wise. It's building a house for their family, for their family to live in. Part of building our house involves our unique giftings and our unique talents and abilities. I had a phone call the other day, and a good friend of mine in ministry, and he, does, he he actually does a lot. I won't say his name. Some of you may know him, actually. But he does a whole lot around the state. And I thought it was so funny because he, he called me and he said, Wes, I need to get together with you. Okay, hey, you know, I like to get I like getting together with you. And he said, I want to know what you do. I'm like, what are you talking about? What I do? He's like, I want to know what you do with kids. You know, the juggling, the balloons and all the, you know, and and he just listed all this crazy stuff, you know, I thought that's kind of funny because like 15 years ago, people used to laugh at me for it. Now I've got people that are pastors calling me. They want to do it. And I said, you know what? You know, let's back up here a second. Let's back up here a second. I'm like, Man, man, weren't you a farmer? He's like, yeah, I grew up a farmer. I'm like, I need you to realize something. You don't need to be me. You don't need to do what I do. You just bring what you do into the element of working with people, of working with kids. I'm like, man, think of all the cool, like you could just bring like a fun tool that I don't even know about, you know, a farm tool or something and bring it to kids and say, hey, this is what this is. Maybe this is, you know, or a picture or something of a combine. Hey, this is how we lay the seeds, Right. And say, this is what we do, you know, as a farmer. And I said, just be you. Be you and, and bring those elements and those dynamics. I said, of course I'll meet with you. Hey, if you want me to, I'll teach you how to make balloons. All right? I did it the other night. I'm starting to think, I'm, I don't want to do it anymore. No, it's, uh, it's fun, though. But uh, yeah, just be you, okay? Use the unique giftings and talents and abilities that God's given you. If you're going to be like anybody, be like one person. That's Jesus, right? That's the only person that we should say, hey, I want to be like him. Charles Maid said, make sure the thing you're living for is worth dying for. And I'm sure many of you have heard that before, but make sure the thing you're living for is worth dying for. Make sure the house that you're building is worth it's worth living and dying for. Wise versus foolish builders. This is the second point. Wise versus foolish builders. And this is probably my biggest point here. Foundational choices, it's all about the foundation. The whole point of the story is right here, is there was a foolish builder and there was a wise builder. Let's look at the foolish builder first. Why would someone want to build on sand? And I started thinking about this quite a bit. Why would someone want to build on sand, right? And it kind of dawned on me, I thought, you know what, um, I'm thinking about building a shed. I've been thinking about it for a while and just keep on getting too busy. Right? My kids are like, yeah, you said you were going to build that two years ago. Thinking about building a shed, I thought, you know, the very thing I was going to use was sand to lay the foundation. I'm like, well, duh. I'm even thinking about doing the same thing. It's easier. It's cheaper. It's faster. You'll get the job done. I mean, the list can continue to go on and on, right? You don't have to chisel anything. You just, the sand, just smooth it over. You know, make it all nice. Make it all easy. Of course, Jesus is making this as a parallel to building a life without Christ, to building a life without God. And of course, we know so many people that do that, say, I'm going to build a life. I'm going to build a great life. I'm going to build a fantastic life. I'm going to have all this stuff. I'm going to do all this, achieve all these things. And they decide to do it without without Jesus. They leave him out of it, right? And so they lay the foundation on the sand. Ignoring God's plan and doing it our way seems much easier at times. The person building on sand is not starting with the end in mind. And, of course, when I say starting with the end in mind, is we always, always, always should have eternity. Okay? That's the end, right? Is our eternal gift, our eternal reward. We should always have that in mind when we start something, right? How is this going to end? Instead of saying, how can I just get by and and do this as easy as possible? Right? The sandy ground is building a life on a foundation other than God 's Word. Of course, I thought about what, what that is. It's, it could be a false religion, right? But the more I thought about false religion, the more I thought that there's this empty, carnal, and I don 't want to call it Christianity, even, but sometimes it's thought in Christianity. Okay, And I want to deal with this because Jesus actually is dealing with this in verses seven, I'm sorry, verses 21, 22 and 23 those who say, "Lord, Lord, did we not do this?" Do we not prophesy? Do we not cast out demons? Did we not uh, do wonderful things? Miracles, basically, in your name. OK, those are people that have done things for God. And Jesus says, I, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. What I'm saying is there is a possibility for people to say I'm a Christian and not really be a Christian, not really know God, not really have a relationship with him, And they're, they're almost using the idea and, the, and some of the truths of Christianity to lay the, the sand, right? What it really is, is works. It's like, if I can just do enough good works, my good is going to outweigh my bad. And there's a lot of people I know that think that, say, well, the way you get to heaven is that if I do more good things than bad things, then God's going to weigh that on a, some kind of, I don't know, scale, and then I'll get to go to heaven. But you know what? That's like... Laying your foundation on sand. It's the same exact thing. Same exact thing. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. We've all known some, right? We've all known some who, who you know, they can, you can attend church. You can tithe. You can, you can, you know, give to the poor. You can teach Sunday school even. It doesn't matter. Right? But if you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the rock. That's the foundation. That's, that's where it is. I'm still old school, I guess, because I use notes and not an iPad. But anytime I've used the iPad, it turns off of me. I'm like up here trying to get it on. So thinking one can be saved by works is like someone thinking if they just add a little bit more sand to, to the foundation. It doesn't work, right? Or just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But we can never earn our salvation. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And that's what it is right there. It's so no one can say, well, look at all the great things I've done. Look at all the wonderful, you know, buildings I have built for the Lord. The churches, the orphanages, right? That doesn't get us into heaven. It doesn't matter how many good works we do. It's never going to earn us salvation. Christ is the cornerstone. In him alone, we are saved. Life on the solid rock is so different from sinking sand. Worldly wisdom is different than godly wisdom. It's totally revolutionary if you stop and think about it. Because what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, when he got done you know, with the whole Sermon on the Mount. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Okay, The parable of the foundations. It was so revolutionary. Everybody was in awe. This guy isn't like the teachers of law. This guy has real authority, real power. First Corinthians one twenty seven. And I almost opened up this message this way because this is actually my this is how I hang my hat on ministry. This is how I say, you know what? I'm called to ministry because of this verse right here. It says Paul says it actually. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. There's a lot of people, when I went to Bible college, that were they had a lot of incredible talent, a lot of incredible ability. And I remember thinking, wow, that guy's going to go, or that you know girl, they're going to go far in ministry. You know, 15 years, 17 years, 18 years, later, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm friends with some of the, a lot of these people on Facebook, and I look, I'm looking, I'm saying, some, these people that I thought were going to do incredible things, a lot of them are not. Some of them aren't even serving the Lord. The ones that have, were the brightest and the best and the most talented, a lot of them are not. But you know what? The ones that I said, psh, they'll never, I'm, I'm sure people thought this about me too. They won't make it. They're not going anywhere. They're the ones that are serving the Lord. They're the ones that are doing great things for Jesus. And you know what? I know when I was in Bible college, people looked at me like, I don't even think that guy's saved. All right? I don't even know. What's he doing in Bible college, man? Someone's got to get rid of him. But you know what? I was. I had a relationship with the Lord and I was following him. And and I remember reading this verse and saying, that's my call to ministry right there. I'm foolish and I'm weak. And I can't do this without Jesus. I can't do ministry without him at all. And I started realizing that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Because if we start to rely on our own ability and our own talents and our own giftings, guess what? God's given us those things. But guess what? It's It's false. It's false. God wants to get the glory. He wants to get the honor and the praise. So I'm sure you know people like that, too. And when I say ministry, by the way, I'm not talking about professional ministry or or I'm talking about everybody's ministry. Right. If you're a Christian, you're saved. You love Jesus. You touch people that the pastors can't touch sometimes. Okay, you have the ability to touch a life that uh, many pastors won't ever be able to touch. And so remember that God's using you. He's chosen the foolish and the weak things. So if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I'm foolish. I'm weak. You're in the right place. Okay. if you're not, you're still in the right place. Jesus said some pretty crazy things in the parable of the mountain. And I just want to highlight these. And I'm not not getting into the theology of these or anything. But I just want to use this as an example. Forgive or you won't be forgiven by God. Love your enemies. In the Jewish culture, that was like, what? Love your enemies? That's crazy. Pray for those who persecute you. If you look lustfully at a woman, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. You can't serve both God and money. Some pretty crazy stuff for people to hear back in that day. Still to this day, it's pretty revolutionary for people to hear and really take the heart. God's word is the rock. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the rock foundation. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Jesus is talking about building on the foundation, the rock foundation, what he's actually talking about is he's actually talking about building upon himself. That we need to build into the rock. We need to be lodged into the rock. The Word. Okay, yes, it is the, the black and white written Word, but it is the Word. Jesus is the Word that we are to latch onto, that we are to build our foundation upon. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Acts 4.11 says, and it states, He has become the capstone, the foundational stone. Salvation is found in no one else. He died and rose again, once for all. And it cost Him everything. It'll cost us too, serving Him. Again, you follow the teachings of Jesus. Pray for those who persecute you. love your enemy. Forgive those who have hurt you. It will cost you but it will never cost you as much as it costed Jesus. What is bur- built on the firm foundation is never, ever, ever moved. I just want to move to my next point here. Say, storms reveal the foundation we've built upon. Storms reveal the foundation we've built upon. Storms will reveal your true character. That's where the rubber meets the road, is when the storms happen. That's when we find out if someone's a foolish builder, okay, or if they're a wise builder, right? When the storm comes through. That's when someone finds out if their deck was really attached, you know, and had a good foundation, or it didn't have a good foundation, and it falls and crashes, you know, to the ground, right? When I started praying about this and looking at these verses, I... Started realizing there's two types of foundation or there's two types of storms. Okay, there's the storm that's brought upon by our own um, by our own doings, right? And that's biblical. Think David and Bathsheba. Right? David brought those storms on his own life because of his sin, and it happens, right? He's one example. The prodigal son is another good example of this, where the prodigal son wanted all of his money. He went away from home, right? And and he spent all of his money, and he ended up eating. With the pigs and the pen, pig pen. That was this, the storm that he brought on himself. Okay? Sometimes that happens. But talking about this, many times it's just storms that happen because of life. Because we're all going to go through storms. Jesus said, John sixteen thirty-three: In this world you ha- will have many troubles. Okay? Or tribulations or trials. Whatever you want to say. In this world you will have many troubles. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Those troubles, those afflictions will happen. There's many biblical examples on that. Think Paul, the Apostle Paul. He spent so much time in prison. Most of his writings come from prison, by the way. Right? He was uh, lashed with the 39 lashes twice, like Jesus was right before Jesus went to the cross. He was beaten. He was stoned, I think, twice. He was shipwrecked once. He went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, not because he deserved it, but because he was following Jesus. Right. And that's why those many of those trials came to him. In fact, if he hadn't been following Jesus, he'd probably been a mighty, you know, powerful Pharisee in the temple. okay, and uh, would have been well-known, wealthy and famous in the day. But instead, you know, he ended up becoming he ended up losing his head for Jesus. Right. Many times those trials, those tribulations are because they're either out of our control or because we are actually serving the Lord. Proverbs 24.10 says, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Those who go through the storm and come out stronger, your foundation is on the Lord. Love this quote right here. Henry Ward Beecher said, troubles are often the tools by which God fashions us for better things. They're not fun to go through, right? They're not fun to go through. But once you get out on the other side, you're stronger. You know your foundation is in Christ when you can do that, when you can come out on the other side. What kind of storms are you going through right now? Sickness. Could be a prodigal son, prodigal daughter situation. Could be financial. Could be any kind of troubles, right? We all go through those storms of life. Those who say that, going, that when you give your life to Jesus, life is going to get easier, Right? They're lying to you. Sometimes you give your life to Jesus and life gets more difficult. It gets harder. Okay? And you've got to go through more trials and tribulations. I'm, just, I'm not talking about every time. I'm just some people, some individuals. Okay? Not every time when someone gives their life to you, oh, everything's easy. and you know, No, it's not always like that. Sometimes it's more difficult. And sometimes you have to go through those trials and tribulations even more than before you give your life to Jesus. want to just... Um, I didn't even have this in my notes but I want to bring this up. Sometimes, you know, you look back in your family life. Danica and I have been married for 17 years. Am I right? All right, you didn't say yes like I was right. I was kind of kind of worried about that like 17 years, I hope. It changes every year. You know, how am I supposed to remember every year? Once I get 17 now, it'll be 18. Anyway. So you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to that marriage conference, by the way, so I'll be there. I need it. Anyway, in 2007, and this was so long ago that I didn't. At first, I didn't think I was going to talk about it. But in 2007, um, Danica and I went through probably the most trying, hardest time in our lives, and, and definitely our marriage, but in our life, and. You know, you look back and sometimes families go through those times, those trying times, those times of tribulation. I was in full-time, we were in full-time ministry, working at a great church in Texas, uh, Abilene, Texas. Right there, that should say it all, right? Trying time, Abilene, Texas. It was the desert, okay? We did see those little, what are those little bushes? that Tumbleweeds, yes, we did see those sometimes. It's pretty cool. Um, mesquite trees all over the place. Anyway, it was the te- desert, but it was a desert time of our life. Okay, in 2007, and at the time, um, was working for a great church, but there were some trials there, definitely some trials, in, you know, through that that season of our life, and in uh, 2007, Danica um, became pregnant with our, our third child, uh, Hannah was like three, Sam was like maybe two, I think, I might be a little off on those ages, but I think I was, I'm about right, two, one maybe, whatever, so they were little babies, Right? Yeah, don't ask me about numbers, obviously. But I got the year right. 2007. 2007. um, My daughter... Anyway, my wife became pregnant, and she was 22 weeks along in in the pregnancy, and we lost the baby. Okay? And, of course, um, it was a very, very difficult, discouraging time. Um, Anytime a family goes through that, it's it's very hard. And we were at the hospital, and just, you know, kind of going through that mourning process, that season of, like... Okay, now what? Right. Um, And I'm knowing that I had to get back. We had to get kind of get back into ministry, the ministry group of things. And we have two children to raise. And at the hospital, Danica was looking for some verses. We're looking for some verses because we we had a funeral for a little hope. Her name is Hope. And we we had a little graveside funeral for hope. Danica was looking for some verses in the hospital and the word harmony just jumped up at her. And the Lord spoke to Danica and said, you will have another daughter, and her name will be Harmony. And Danica, at the time, was almost ticked at God, I think, right? Like, God, why are you telling me this now? I just lost hope, you know? And this was the time, we pray- I was praying, I was crying out to the Lord. Okay, again, I had two young children, and the night that my wife, before we lost the baby, the night she spent in the hospital, I came home to be with my two kids, because they couldn't be home alone, obviously, and I remember just being in the in the living room, and I was just pacing back and forth, praying, crying out to the Lord, crying out. And I I felt at one point in time like I was like, "There's going to be a miracle. It's going to take. It's going to happen, right? I'm standing on His word, right? I'm stand- and I, I remember at the time starting to praying. I started praying for a gentleman in our church who um, he was he was also in, in the hospital, and uh, he was actually dying from I think liver failure at the time. And I remember thinking. Yeah, I hope it's going to be all right. I just know. I'm going to start praying for... Uh, his name was, was Joe. And I remember even starting praying for him. Like, God's going to do a miracle. The next day, we lost hope. And uh, so God God spoke to Danica and said, You're going to have a baby named Harmony. Uh, a daughter named Harmony. And Danica's like, Really, God? Because this is pretty trying, pretty difficult time to go through right now. Why are you speaking to, the, to me right now? Well, he was speaking that probably because it, my wife became pregnant. I want to say the matter of two or three months later, and not that we were planning it, but we weren't doing anything to stop it, but um, she became pregnant, and, and there was a little bit, almost fear and hesitation on my part, like, okay, God, now what? Because we just lost this baby, Hope, and, you know, we, we praised him through the storm. Casting Crown's uh, song called Praise Him Through the Storm really spoke to us at that time, and I remember just, you know, worshiping God and being like, God, I don't know why we lost a little hope. I don't know what's going on. Thank you for the two kids that I have, you know, but I'm going to praise you through this trial. I'm going to praise you through the storm, even though this is, this is the most difficult time in my life right now. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. I don't have to get it. Okay. And so we went right into, you know, losing ho- hope in March To the summer, we're like, oh, wow, she's pregnant again. To Up to the school year started. My kids weren't in school yet. But up to the school year started. And the doctor said, okay, now now you need, you know, to Danica, you need to be on bed rest. And I'm like, I've got two young kids. And I'm in ministry. And my ministry didn't really, you know, they weren't that giving. I should, I don't, I just don't want to, you know, it's just a difficult time. And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so Danica, she literally set up camp almost on the couch of our living room uh, to try to watch the kids during the day when I would go to work. And for a few weeks, you know, this worked out good for a few weeks all the way up right before Thanksgiving. And I got a phone call. I was actually in staff meeting at, at our church. I got a phone call from Danica and she said, Wes, I don't know what to do. My water broke. I know my water broke. And I, and I think she was about 20, I want to say twenty. Eight, 28 weeks along at that time, I'm like, okay, I'm coming home. It's going to be okay. And I'm thinking, wow, a 28-week-old, you know, NICU baby, this is going to be difficult. Get to the hospital, and the doctor said, they said, well, they don't always get born when the water breaks. And I'm like, what? Never heard of that. And so they, she, they said, we're going to actually take her from Abilene, Texas, to um, a better hospital that had a better NICU um, uh, hospital, to Fort Worth, Texas, which was about two hours away from Ameline, okay? Again, two hours of desert, um, tumbleweed desert, mesquite Treat desert, anyway. Um, and there Danica was all the way from Thanksgiving to December 5th, and Harmony was born December 5th, and so she was able to stay in for another two and a half weeks. And uh, I thought that was pretty amazing, and we just, every day we prayed, and and the reason I'm telling this story is because During that season of my life, it was very difficult. I got, like, no sleep at all, okay? And I had little two little kids that I was, you know, taking care of. I didn't have a mom, basically, taking care of these two kids because she was in the hospital. I had to go, you know, see her in the hospital when I even wanted to see her. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 came to my heart all the time. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight, And I remember that was just the, that was the meditation. That was the prayer at the time. And I was like, I am not going to give up. I'm just going to pray that this baby lives. I'm going to pray that there's no complications with this baby. I'm going to continue to seek the Lord. And 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 day and night I would quote that that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways. Knowledge him and he will make your path straight. And what I was doing is I was grounding myself in the rock, in the word. Okay, I wasn't. And I didn't. I didn't say, well, if I just do this and if I just do this, I know it's going to work out. I didn't know it was going to work out. Had no idea because we could still have lost Harmony as well. Harmony was born December 5th. She came out. She tried to breathe. It didn't work. She was just kind of a gruntle. They bagged her right away, brought her to the NICU. You know, you know, as a parent, I'm like, oh, you know, we're um, trying to keep our heads on straight and it took us, like, I want to say six or ten hours to finally be able to go and just visit her in the NICU and talk about a whole other world. From December 5th to January 5th, uh, we lived the life of NICU parents. Ronald McDonald House, okay? And, you know, Ronald McDonald House blessed us and, and the, the, the hospital blessed us. But, you know, we lived this life for a month. And I remember just thinking when I was in there, like, there's not that many parents that come in to visit their babies, just not that many. But they told us, they said, come and make sure that you're spending as much time as you can. Come and hold your baby. Harmony was born at three pounds, three ounces at the time. She lost weight and she went all the way down to two pounds, 15 ounces. I'm like, oh my word, a human being can be less than three pounds and live? You know? But uh, obviously, it's there's babies that have been born less than that and, and have been perfectly healthy and fine. And so, but I remember one... Real quick, one story. Um, I remember sitting there in the NICU. And I, we're about maybe two weeks from, you know, the doctor, you know, giving the okay. Just, okay, you can go home with your baby. I remember holding Harmony. She's about maybe three and a half pounds at this point in time, so small. And I'm holding her in the NICU. Danica was with the other two kids because they couldn't come into the NICU, by the way, because it was that season, flu season. And they wouldn't let little children come in at the time. And I remember holding the, my baby, Harmony. And all of a sudden... I was in a room, about 10 or 12 other babies, little NICU, you know, units. And across the room, there was a, um, an aide feeding a baby that was, you know, about ready to go home. It was bigger. It was, it was, he was in great shape and everything. And all of a sudden, while the baby was being fed, the whole, the baby flatlined. And I was like, oh my word, you know. And I knew this could happen to to, to my baby and, and so they couldn't get just kick me out. I'm holding my little preemie baby and I'm watching and I'm praying. I'm like Lord, not on my watch. God, don't let this little baby die in my watch. I want to say two or three doctors, you know, they rushed into the room. Five or six nurses rushed in the room. They start bagging the baby and they brought this baby back within about five minutes. I was like, oh, thank you, God. But then I it clicked. I was like, God, this this baby's bigger than my baby. And then they, you know, um, doctor and nurse kind of joking around. They said. Ha ha, this baby was supposed to go home yesterday, tomorrow, not going home now, you know, and, and of course it was a relief kind of a laugh, like, oh, everything's okay, and like, we're thankful this baby didn't go home, because this could have happened, obviously, at home, and I just remember thinking, wow, God, thank you for getting us through this time, of course, Harmony is, she's 10 now, and uh, she's got more energy than me now, and uh, she's definitely alive, and she's full of joy, and I'm just so thankful that God got us through that time. You know what? We've all gone through those times. I was thinking about it. 2012, 2013 for us as a family. It was a little bit of a trying, difficult time. And maybe you're like, you know what? I'm going through that time now. 2017, 2018 has been a trying time. Maybe you're going through that storm today. I want to leave you with this verse. And it's uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought a good fight. I finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. For me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. I love that verse right there. Because you know what? When Paul says fight, he means fight. You know, it's a fight. Every day can be a fight in a Christian's life, right? Every day can be a fight. talked about... Salvation this morning how guess what it doesn't matter how many good works you do yes Jesus wants us to do good things yes he wants us to come to church and tithe and and, and teach Sunday school that's all important yes but you know what that's not going to earn our salvation only one thing earns our salvation only one man earns our salvation and that's Jesus Christ being grounded in the rock being grounded in the foundation that's what's going to get you through the storm not the good works not the good deeds not if you can do more Go more play. No, it's being grounded in Jesus Christ because He did all of the work on the cross, dying on the cross for our sins. He did all of the work when he rose again from the dead to show us that someday we are going to live for with him forever. And if you're here this morning, I don't want to to allow this opportunity to pass. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe you're, you're like, hey, I thought it was all about good works. I thought it was all about good deeds. Or you know what? I'm still, I'm still trying to figure this Christianity thing out. It's okay. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm still trying to figure the Christian, Christian thing out. But I, one thing I have realized is it's all about being grounded in Jesus Christ. It's not all the good works and everything. It's about him. And if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to ask him to come into my heart today to forgive me of my sins. Because he wants to do that. You're out there today and you're saying, you know, I want to do that. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up right now. If there's anybody right now who would say yes, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I want to make sure that I'm grounded in the rock. Grounded in the foundation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If there's anybody here, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Second thing I wanted to say. I want, I want, just go ahead and keep your eyes closed right now. And your heads bowed. If you're going through a trial right now, a tribulation, a tough time. Again, it's all about being rounded in the foundation, in the rock. I just want to give you an opportunity today to pray. To cry out to the Lord, to pray out to, you know, pray to him, to seek him. Many people are going through trials and tribulations. It can be sickness, prodigal son, daughter situation, financial. It can be anything. We want to just give you that opportunity this morning just to quietly or um, prayerfully, I should say, come to the Lord during this altar time. What I'd like to do is I'm going to here in a minute. I'm going to call the pastors and the deacons to come up to the altar and just pray for those who are in need of prayer. What I'd like to do is just I'd like to end this in a prayer benediction. Okay. And if you're like, you know what? You know, thanks for the sermon. I'm good. I'd I'd like to leave now. It's fine. But I'm just going to ask everyone if you can be very quiet. Okay? If, as you leave. And those who would say, you know what? I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a tribulation. I'm going through a tough time and I I need prayer. I'm going to ask you to come down to the altars and just, you know, seek a pastor, seek a deacon to pray over you. During this time, you can quietly sit in your seat too and pray. You can come up and just pray at the altars. Either way, it doesn't it doesn't matter? But I just want to give this opportunity, this time, to do that as we leave. So yeah, if um, if everyone could just be very quiet as you leave, if you're like, no, I'm good, I'm good. So I'm going to pray prayer dedication or benediction. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just give um, pastors and deacons a chance to come up here right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your presence and your peace, Lord Jesus. Lord, we come to you this morning. And we thank you so much, God. That it's not about our good works. It's not about us doing enough good things to earn your favor, to earn your salvation. That your salvation and your favor is extended to us because of relationship with you, Lord. We just thank you so much, God, that you desire that relationship, that you love us so much. That you are not about punishing us. You are not about hurting us. You're about showing us favor. Showing us grace, making sure that we are grounded in you, Jesus, so we can get through the storm, not just alive, but get through and thrive, Lord. We thank you so much, God, that that's what you want to do. And Lord, I pray for those who are going through storms this morning, God, who are going through trials and tribulations, God. God, that that, that I pray right now that they would be grounded in your word, grounded in rock solid word and you, God. That when the storm passes, that they could see you were there, you got me through, and you're the only thing that got me through. It wasn't about me, it was all about you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you so much, God, for your presence and your peace this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, I just ask that as individuals go quietly out of this place, Lord, that you would just bless them, God. Bless them as they continue to seek after you, as they continue to hunger and thirst after you, Lord. Bless them as they continue to allow themselves to be filled with your presence. And Lord, I pray that for those who are coming up to the altar and up to, to a pastor or deacon to pray, God, I pray that you would just touch them where, they're, where they are at today, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God. We praise you, Lord. In your precious holy name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you.